Brothers and sisters, please turn with me in Holy Scripture to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. We continue in our series in Mark, and today we come to chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Open your hearts now with faith to receive the holy and the inspired word of the Lord. This is speaking of Jesus and says that he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we recognize that we cannot profit from this word spiritually unless we become spiritual people. So grant us now the mind of Christ and open our hearts by faith to receive this word and write it upon our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. Some of us have a fear of going to see the doctor for a checkup. Some of us will never do it unless we are forced. Uh, If there's something wrong with us, we'd almost rather just not know about it. We'll just, uh, ignorance is bliss. We'd rather live ignorantly, go on living our ordinary life as we have. uh, Because it is hard to recognize our need. And then to actually do something about it. This is the case also with the state of our souls. We're deeply needy people, spiritually speaking, um, and we'd like to hide that fact from ourselves. We'd rather not know, and so just continue on in our routines. But the Word of God comes to us like a scalpel to examine us, and we must be willing to recognize our need as it reveals it to us, and then act upon that. As God opens our eyes to see our spiritual need, we must be willing to see and to act upon it. That's the central teaching of this passage. Jesus says as much in verse 17 when he speaks this proverb. He says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. See, the great sage, the the wonderful counselor, speaks in proverbs and parables and riddles. And he clarifies what he means by this proverb in the very next sentence to show that he's speaking about spiritual realities. He is speaking about the righteous and the sinner, the spiritually sick and the healthy. Jesus' mission is to call sinners. That's why he has come. And much to the confusion of the religious elite of his day, he demonstrates this mission 
by calling upon tax collectors and sinners and transforming them into his own disciples. And this offers us great hope. Because it shows us that Jesus has the authority to fraternize with whoever he wants to fraternize with. He will cozy up with the worst kinds of people in order that they might recognize their need and turn in repentance and in faith. There are two kinds of sinners in this passage. Two kinds that we're going to look at. And then there's the surprising benefit that comes when those sinners recognize their need. So let's look at those different groups of people. The two kinds of sinners in this passage. The first is the rebellious. The all-out sinner. Last week, you'll remember in the story of Jesus healing the paralytic, that Jesus demonstrated his authority to forgive. He demonstrated his authority to forgive sins. And this raised all kinds of red flags for the scribes who accused him, began to accuse him in their hearts of blasphemy. That accusation that's going to now follow him all the way to his trial and execution. And today, in this passage, we see that Jesus now is still in Capernaum. And he has now gone to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is a a lakeside town. And he's on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, continuing to teach this crowd that just shows up wherever he goes. That follows him all over the place. And there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he meets Levi the tax collector. And he calls him to be a disciple. And then Jesus ends up at a feast at Levi's own house with other tax collectors and sinners. And the scribes, just as they did in the healing of the paralytic, now are questioning Jesus' behavior. The main problem in their eyes is that Jesus is getting too close to rebellious people, to sinners. He's fraternizing with sinners. Kids, this, this just means that, that Jesus is willing to be close to people who are wicked. He's willing to have conversations with them. He's willing to get to know them. And he has the authority to do so without anything bad happening to him. Nothing changes with Jesus when he interacts with sinners. The change goes in the other direction. Uh, We learn in a later list in Mark, a list of the 12 disciples, and also from the other Gospels, that this Levi is Matthew. Same person. Mark tells us nothing else about this man through the rest of his Gospel. All that we know is his name and that he is a tax collector. Of all the things that could have been shared with us, In Levi's biography, this is all that Mark gives us. He's a tax collector. And there were at least a couple of versions of this job, a couple of ways that you could have the title of tax collector. But based on his location here at the Sea of Galilee, it's almost certain that Levi was a customs agent. He collected import taxes for those who were coming across the border because he was near the border, uh, leading into what was called the Decapolis, or those who were coming across the the sea. Because if you traveled across the Sea of Galilee, you were in a different territory. And so there were import taxes, just like you have to claim certain items when you come into customs. 
uh, when, or sometimes when you just go into another state here in this country. That, that's what he was doing. He's collecting an import tax. He's a customs agent. And these men were despised. Now, we almost don't need to say anything else. We can understand why a person like this would be despised. But there is some historical background that helps us understand why they were despised to the extent that they were. Tax collectors, even if they were technically working for their local region, as Levi probably was, were still employees of the state. They had a connection with the Roman government. A Jew who took on this job was, as one commentator put it, regarded as an outcast from society. He was excommunicated from the synagogue. And in the eyes of the community, his disgrace extended even to his family. So if you were a practicing Jew and you decided to become a tax collector, you were kicked out of the assembly of God's people as they conceived of themselves. One of the main reasons why tax collectors were so hated is because there was so much leeway in how they set tax rates. But whatever the actual tax rate was, tax collectors were basically free to spike it up as high as they wanted and to pocket the extra. That's how they profited. Many of them were quite wealthy. We learned that from the, the, the passages about Zacchaeus and the other Gospels. Uh, so Levi here is probably quite well off. Because tax collectors would profit at the expense of others. And they were willing to do this at the expense of their status in Jewish society. They traded in that status for wealth. Willing to make poor Jews poorer by an oppressive tax. And all of this through a government job, no less. That's Levi. That's who Levi is. Jesus could have called anybody from the crowds that continued to follow him. He could have called anybody to be his very next official disciple and very soon to be proclaimed to be an apostle in just a couple of chapters. But he called an excommunicated man. That's who he called into his midst. He called a man who had chosen money over family and country and over pretty much any other kind of, of uh, close association. He's a true rebel. To do whatever he wants to make a buck. Now, whatever, whatever circumstances led to this moment of Jesus calling Levi, we don't really know. Mark doesn't tell us. Maybe there was all kinds of evidence that the Lord was already working in Levi. Maybe Levi was, all, was asking all kinds of questions about life. But we don't know. All we know is that Jesus, the Son of God, called. And Levi answered. He dropped everything and he went like the four fishermen that came before him. Now, Levi stands out here as an example of a bigger group that includes both tax collectors and sinners. They're all just rebellious, wicked kind of people in the gospel. And they all show up at Levi's house for a feast. In Luke's gospel account of this, he calls it a great feast. Luke chapter 5. Why? 
they go back to Levi's house. Levi makes this great feast. And the answer is that Levi, a representative sinner, a rebel, has now suddenly seen his need. And finding this deep and all-encompassing need to be satisfied by Jesus, all he can do is celebrate. So he throws a feast. And he invites the Savior. And he invites all of his friends. Dearly loved brothers and sisters, wicked sinners though you are, Jesus draws near to you. He fraternizes with sinners. Here it is. Here's the account. He comes close to those whom the world has cast out. And Jesus does this knowing that the truth is actually worse than what the world can see. Jesus actually knows what you're really like. Not just on the outside by your behavior, but to the heart. He sees all the way to our heart and soul. He sees that your soul, your very soul, is sick with sin. That you have rebelled against your Creator. But He comes to heal. He comes as a physician to heal this sickness. In fact, Christ may well be drawing near to others that you know that perhaps you have written off as beyond hope, beyond healing. You've written them off perhaps as hopeless. But Christ heals the sick and he saves sinners. That's who he has call- he's come to call. He's come to call sinners. Recognize your need. Recognize it. Don't turn away from this recognition. But see it, and then in seeing it, do something about it. Receive the healing care of your Savior and your physician. That's the first kind of sinner that we meet in this passage. It's the rebel. The all-out sinner just doesn't really care. Doesn't really care. Whether the tax collector or more generally speaking, sinners. But there's another class of sinners in this passage that can be a little harder to spot. Not just the rebel, but also the self-righteous. Jesus says that the healthy have no need for a physician. And that's his way of calling out the scribes for their self-righteousness. He's calling them out for them failing to see that they have a need for a physician. Uh, now, either, either the scribes were nearby during this feast and they saw what was going on. So that maybe they were just outside or they saw all of these folks go in or they found out about it later. Whatever the case, the scribes end up asking, why does this man eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And we have this phrase here that calls them the scribes of the Pharisees. Uh, Who are we speaking about here? The Pharisees were pious men, very devout men, who stuck very closely to the written law of God. Very, very closely. In fact, so closely that they also stuck just as closely to other oral traditions that ended up getting written down as well that were put into place to guard that law. 
you've heard anything about the Pharisees, and you've, you've probably heard this explanation. And the, the main problem here is that they treated those traditions as being equal in authority with the actual law of God. So they were a religious party. There's Pharisees that we also learn about, the Sadducees. They're a religious party, and they had their own scribes, their own Bible scholars that interpreted the scriptures and the tradition. And those are the scribes that are in this passage. Very strict, piety-oriented kinds of people. And they are assuming this Pharisaic teaching about fraternizing with sinners. In other words, don't get too close. Why would you do that? Now, Jesus says that his mission is to call sinners, not the righteous. I've come to call sinners, not the righteous. Are these men then actually righteous? And so Jesus is not calling on them because they're good to go. Is that what's going on here? No, no, no. Actually, Jesus is using their own categories against them to indict them for their own understanding of righteousness as though they are righteous before God. They assume that the category of sinner doesn't include themselves. That's worth repeating. They assume that the category of sinners does not include themselves. And this is a tremendous temptation for Christians as well. Now, of course, there is a difference. There's a clear difference between kind of open rebellion against God, just not caring, uh, not responding to the call to repentance, open rebellion against God. There's a a difference between that kind of life and, and someone who is loving God and neighbor, but struggling with sin. Those are two different kinds of of, uh, categories. The difference is recognizing your need. One doesn't. One doesn't recognize that there's a need there at all. The truth of the matter is that you never actually get past being a sinner. Once you are called into the, the Christian walk and you are walking in repentance and faith, there's no point at which you finally cross that finish line and now you can say, I'm done with sin. You're done with the consequences, the eternal consequences of sin. Amen. But you are still a sinner. Martin Luther taught with, with such clarity in the Reformation, and we affirm that those who have faith in Jesus Christ are simultaneously righteous and sinners. We are righteous by that divine and gracious declaration of God, and we are also still struggling with sin. But Christians are to be constantly aware of their need for Christ. That's our calling, is to cling to Christ for our righteous status before God and to cling to Him all the more while we struggle with our sin. To be aware of our need for Christ. We are not righteous in a way that exempts us from Jesus' call to repentance. That's what the Pharisees were thinking, at least these ones here. No, we are not righteous in ourselves at all, unless Christ comes and begins to transform us. Sometimes we forget that the Apostle Paul 
was himself a Pharisee before he was saved. He says in his letter to the Philippians, he says that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Blameless. That's Philippians chapter 3. That is how the Apostle Paul saw himself when he was still living as a Pharisee. Blameless before God because of his commitment to the law as a member of this religious party. But by the grace of God, Paul goes on to say in the very next sentence, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul himself is a whole parable for us of the problem with the Pharisees as they come to us in in passages like this. They thought that before God they could obtain this righteousness according to their own piety and according to the piety of all the other laws they built around the law of Moses. But Paul said, that's no righteousness at all. I thought I was blameless according to the righteous works of the law. But I wasn't. I count it now as refuse, as rubbish and as garbage in order that I may gain Christ by faith. Brothers and sisters, have you come today with a self-righteous attitude that exempts you from Christ's call to repentance? In other words, are you looking to your own piety, your own deeds, as sincere as they may be, for your own righteousness before God, for your confidence before the Lord? Your works may very well indeed help you to see that there's fruit, that your faith is real and that fruit is coming forth from it. That's one of the function of works. That's, that's fine. But are you looking to those works and to your piety as your confidence before God? Or can you say with Paul, I count it as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ? Are you blind to your need? You don't really have a need and so you don't need the physician? Or do you, like Levi, you see the sickness of your soul and you are reaching out daily for your physician to heal and to save? Loved ones in Christ, all have sinned. All have sinned. Rebel and self-righteous alike. This is two kinds of sinners. Two different kinds of sinners. All have sinned. All have this basic need. We must recognize this need and turn away from our self-righteousness. Lastly, we've seen these two different categories of sinners. There's the openly rebellious. There's the self-righteous. Both are in need of seeing Christ as physician and as Savior. Then there's a surprising benefit that comes to those who are willing to recognize that need. And it's that they become recliners. Recliners. 
We'll be cutesy with the uh, alliteration today. Uh, They're recliners. Rebellious people become those who now recline at the table with Jesus. Self-righteous people become those who now recline at the table with Jesus. That's the surprising benefit that comes to those, to all those who are willing to recognize their need. Uh, Verse 15, of course, is where I'm getting this, this. This language that's foreign to us of reclining at table. Greco-Roman custom was to have couches brought up to a table, probably not with a back to them, couches that you could lay down on or sit on the edge of, and you would recline on that couch as you ate, particularly during meals of special occasions. It doesn't seem to have been the posture at every single meal, but uh, most scholars are confident that this is signaling that Levi was uh, counting this as a very special occasion. And uh, at least in this time period, Jews seem to have taken on the practice as well, even though it was a Greco-Roman practice. Now, we can see just based on the close proximity that this kind of posture would bring, we can understand why the scribes were uncomfortable with Jesus actually doing it. To be scooted right up to the table and be lying next to other sinners is uh, scandalous in the eyes of the scribes and the Pharisees. But if they caught the true significance of what Jesus was doing, they'd be far more upset. They, they would have crucified him on the spot if they recognized what he was actually doing. Because this is not, Jesus is not just some rabbi who's trying to provoke a, a reaction. He's not a shock jock. He's not a provocateur. And not for the sake of provocation anyway. No, he is the son of God who is coming to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. We read earlier in the service from the prophet Joel. God promised that he himself would send upon his exiled people grain and wine and oil in abundance And that they would eat and be satisfied with the Lord who was in their midst. A feast for the people of God who had finally turned from their sin. Isaiah chapter 25, one of the just peak moments of Holy Scripture, talks about the new creation. Saying that there will be choice meat and well-aged wine flowing on on the mountains of Zion. And the people of God will sit down with God himself to a feast. The problem is that the Pharisees could not imagine that this feast would include sinners. How could this possibly include sinners? It's for only the righteous. It must be those who are righteous. And they're the righteous ones. They're the ones who get to come up to the table. So what in the world is this man doing eating with sinners and tax collectors. But indeed this feast does include sinners. Other than Jesus, that's all it includes. Sinners who have been redeemed by his blood and who have turned from their sins in repentance and in faith and who have heard the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom and have responded as Levi and the four fishermen have responded. By sitting down with 
tax collectors and sinners by reclining at table with them, Jesus previews a great feast that is to come. When he returns, repentant sinners will recline at table with the Son of God. That is your inheritance. That is the promise for you. That you, because of Christ, because you have been cleansed by his blood, will be invited to the table. Not because you washed your hands like the Pharisees. You washed your own hands. Not, not like that. But because your souls have been healed. You've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Our Savior is not ashamed to do this. He's not a doctor who's afraid to get too close to sick people. He knows. He knows in this moment here in the gospel. And he knows now and to the end. That his sacrifice on the cross is more than enough to purify us. So that we can come to the table. He knows that his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so brothers and sisters. Turn. Turn again from your sins. Recognize your need. He's come to call sinners. He's come to call those who recognize their need for a physician. Not those who think they're good to go, thank you very much, and are all healthy, and would rather not have their doctor check up. No, he has come to call sinners and those who see that they're sick in soul. And as a token of this promise, he's given us a foretaste of the heavenly meal. Not just in the gospel accounts, but in the Holy Supper. By this sacrament that we'll celebrate together in just a few minutes, Christ himself assures you of your place at the table. So lay down your own righteousness. Lay it down. Turn from your sin. Recognize your need. And come to the table of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would implant this seed deeply in the soil of our hearts. Water it with your word and spirit and cause it to bear fruit even a hundredfold in this age and in the kingdom to come. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, world without end. Amen.